Welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. This is a very special episode. We are, I mean, we just talked about earlier this month celebrating five years of good advice. And so I dug into the Good Advice Content Vault because that's a thing. (laughs) And I looked at, you know, what were the most popular episodes that ever aired on the podcast in the last five years? And looking at the list, the list might surprise you. And actually what I'm very surprised about is this number 10 slot only because this episode just aired aired last month and it already made it into the top 10 of the most downloaded episodes ever no surprise there because this guest was incredible it was Oren Klopper who is the founder of NetSureIt we talked about his entrepreneurial journey as well as really what you need to be thinking about when you hire and retain amazing talent for your business this was a great conversation and if you enjoyed it stay tuned for more episodes on our top 10 countdown coming at you every week Enjoy number 10. But before we dive in, a word from one of the amazing businesses that sponsor the podcast. There's one single piece of advice that I give to business owners who are ready to scale their business drastically. And that's knowing exactly what you need to hand off so that you can continue focusing on what you're an expert in. It amazes me when I talk to business owners who are doing their own bookkeeping and tax prep. And worse, that they're going through all this paperwork at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, even midnight, slaving away trying to make sense of all of the numbers for their business. Business owners who are making it happen have already figured out that you can't do it all yourself. That's why I recommend Steve Lay with Equity Business Solutions. Not only is he an expert in bookkeeping and tax prep, but what I love about Steve is that he'll sit down with you and help you make sense of the value of your business beyond just reading a spreadsheet. You'll be able to make better decisions, and more importantly, you're going to save yourself the crucial time you would have spent going through QuickBooks or an Excel spreadsheet or whatever it is that keeps us up late at night. So save yourself some time and some money by giving Steve Lay a call at Equity Business Solutions, and he'll show you the value beyond your numbers. Go to EquityBusinessSolutionsLLC.com to find out more. Oren, how's it going today? Great. Uh, yeah, excited to, uh, to have this discussion with you. Thanks, Blake. I don't know if this is obnoxious or not, but I love your accent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Where, yeah, whereabouts, whereabouts are you from? Uh, South Africa. Okay, cool. I, like I said, I don't know if that's obnoxious or not, but you know. Not at all. Not okay. at all. I take it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Now, you started NetSureIt 24 years ago uh, during the lead up to Y2K. Give us a little bit of an origin story. How did the business get put together? Yeah, for sure. Um, I was at university. I took uh, an extra major in information systems. This was actually in 95. And a friend of mine who was doing an engineering degree and another friend who was in, in the same, uh, doing the same degree as me. Uh, anyway, he, the friend doing engineering had already started a business selling engineering calculators and computers to, to friends mm-hmm. and family. Okay. And uh, he invited me to come and sell for them. Um, okay. I'd just taken information systems. So... I would get out there and sell. I wasn't the most technical person at the time, to say the least, Mm. but I loved sales. And uh, in 97, I decided this is what I want to do. And we 
pretty much would do anything from selling computers to doing networking to, and then eventually in the kind of 98, 99 in the lead up to Y2K, it became very clear to us that the, this entrepreneurial uh, engine of the economy, that mm. SME, SMB space uh, was being taken advantage of. And they did not necessarily understand technology, but they were starting to embrace it. And they were just, uh, they weren't, there was no clear model where they had a predictable monthly charge that they could pay to have their IT looked after. And that's where NetSureit was born. It was, was almost an IT insurance offering. So that's where the name came from, where we would charge a, a fixed monthly fee and we would take care of them. And that's really how the business uh, sort of went into the form that it is now. And essentially, we're still doing the exact same thing. We've reinvented ourselves and innovated, but yeah. same customer base, sort of 25 to 1,000 user environments. And um, we charge a monthly fee um, and we try and take care of them in a, in a trusted advisor capacity. Yeah, I love that. And I know you guys are doing uh, over $30 million in revenue. Um, you talked about these other companies it's during Y2K. What was it? And this, you know, unfortunately, I was a bit, I was a bit young. I think I was um, mm -hmm. around a teenager around this time. So I didn't really know much about what was going on other than, you know, the Y2K panicked. Um, was it, you know, you mentioned these, you saw these other IT companies that really were kind of scamming, or I, I'll say the word scamming, but like ripping people off. Was it, was it people kind of jumping on the Y2K scare and like trying to pick up customers and sales and like you guys saw an opportunity to actually do it the right way? Yes, I think it was, there were two dynamics. The bigger dynamic was that the early adopters of most of the technology were large enterprises. So very few organizations had built appropriate technology that fit the SMB entrepreneurial space. So organizations might say, well, look, you know what? I need a certain piece of technology and they're selling them an enterprise class product. Mm -hmm. So, and, and even Microsoft, it took Microsoft. I remember I, I used to fight with them. They have these things called gold competencies and they didn't have one for small business until I can't remember exactly when, I think it was 2003 or, and mm -hmm. I would fight with them saying, but we're, we focus on small business, you know, so I think a lot of the large enterprises that were providing technology solutions to business had built those solutions around larger, larger businesses. So that was one of the reasons. Uh, and then I think Y2K, some people were just exploiting it, really, yeah. really exploiting it. Um, so those would be the two elements. And it was also just a sense of purpose as well. When you see this entrepreneurial part of the economy and the impact it can have and how those businesses can grow into serious economic force in, in, in any country, um, it just felt like we were doing something deeply meaningful. Yeah, it actually kind of reminds, and I don't want to get too off base here, but it kind of reminds me of like crypto today, of how it's this exciting, like the whole, you know, the whole technology is like very exciting, but there is like a multitude of bad actors and people realizing like opportunities to make money uh, rather than really digging into, you know, the new technologies and, and really providing a meaningful service. But I don't know if that's yes. a fair, if that's a fair analogy no, or I, I, not, I, I, or... I think it's a fair comparison when you look at look at the life cycle of of blockchain and crypto and 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 that balance of regulation 
and speed and agility and innovation. Yeah. And sometimes where the speed, agility and innovation wins and there isn't the regulation, that's where some of those scary things can happen. Um, there's no question it's here to stay. And it can have a massive impact mm -hmm. um, as it comes out of this absolute bloodbath that it's in right now. <laughs> right. Um, but it, it's great technology, and I, hopefully it won't get overregulated and die. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a fair comparison. Yeah. Now, not to back up too far, but you said something in your introduction that really piqued my interest. You mentioned how you loved sales. And one of the most common, and I know you're highly involved in just entrepreneurship in general, um, one thing that I hear often from entrepreneurs, and there's probably quite a few listening to this podcast who, uh, really dislike sales, heavily dislike having to get out there and sell to people. And it's not even just like the rejection side of it. You know, sometimes I was talking to a guy the other day who was like, you know, I just, I just don't like, I just don't like it. I just don't like doing it. Um, I'm, I, I think it's just interesting that you like sales. I'd love to hear more about, you know, what was it that you liked about sales? What's your perspective on sales? Tell us more. Yeah. So let me just weigh in on, on entrepreneurs that don't like sales. Um, yeah, that's, so I, I think there, there are a couple of perspectives. One, you're, 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 uh, in denial. Um, because it's very hard to build a business if you can't convince people to join you and you can't convince customers to buy from you. And if you've somehow been able to establish and grow a business and you don't enjoy sales, um, best you have a partner that absolutely loves it. Yeah. Uh, and, and you look at a lot of the, the startup and the VC funding world they look very favorably on businesses that are two people versus just one people as one two founders versus one founder. But now I, I absolutely love sales. And, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other night and he's, we'd had an, we'd had an event. Um, he's a friend of mine uh, that I met through, uh, through the school I went to, but also through entrepreneurs organization. And, um, we were talking to his, his two kids and we were sharing entrepreneurial sort of, thoughts and, and like to this day, nothing excites me as much as a lead. The only thing that, that that's first. And then second is actually closing the deal. Mm -hmm. It's got to be one of the greatest feelings as, as, yeah. as any leader or entrepreneur in a business. And, um, yeah, if you don't enjoy it, I think you really need to make sure someone Standing right next to you absolutely loves it because you get different types of salespeople. Like you get some salespeople that are, are technocrats and in their mind, there is only one way to do the solution correctly. Mm -hmm. And you find sometimes those people are actually really good salespeople. So we, we have that type of salesperson in our technical pre-sales. They're, they're not the most diplomatic people. Let me tell you straight, they will not call themselves a salesperson, mm -hmm. but they are so straightforward and candid about what they believe is the right solution and what's good for your business that you end up buying from them. So you get many different uh, styles and flavors of, of salespeople. What's your advice for the young entrepreneur, not, not age young, like young in their business who is afraid to sell because they don't want to not deliver on what they've promised. They don't want to let someone down. They don't want to piss someone off. 
They don't, you know, whatever it is, but the people who are scared to sell, any encouragement for them? For sure. You have to listen to a book. I think it's called Rejection Proof. I must just remember it is, it is absolutely brilliant. And the idea in it is every no means you're one step closer to a yes. So every time you get rejected, say your ratio is one in 10. Every time you get rejected, you're one step closer to the yes. The book is by uh, Jia Jiang called Rejection Proof. And it's just amazing. And I believe most entrepreneurial stories of uh, growth and, and, and crossing that chasm, mm -hmm. they can tell you a myriad of stories about how they got rejected. Oh, yeah. And it's that <laughs> resilience and resolve. I mean, I remember I... Um, I was uh, at, the, uh, at the end of my schooling before I went, I went and lived in the UK uh, for a year. I worked um, to, to make some extra money. Before I left, I worked for, I did telesales at uh, a business called the Auto Trader. So basically you would phone people who were advertising their, their vehicle or car in the classifieds in the newspaper. And you must only phone people that are private sale that are not through a dealer. Mm. So there was this big sign up on the wall that said, do not phone this number. <laughs> we put the number up. So anyway, I, I, I was very successful in, in that role, but I did manage to phone that guy three times. <laughs> he was a dealer and he was actually suing them, but there's something about um, breaking that fear. Yeah. I remember in the early days of the business, I think there were six of us and we all had a daily cold calling target, yeah. all of us, Yeah, you know, and, and there's something about it. If you're doing it together, the camaraderie of it, it is, it's actually exhilarating. It really, really is. You know, so yeah. I, that book rejection proof, I think is, is just a great one. Yeah. We'll put, we'll put that book, uh, guys, we'll put the book in the description, the comments of, uh, this episode. So you don't lose track of it, but I love how you phrase that, like kind of breaking through the fear of selling, breaking through the fear of rejection. Cause I do think, I do think even the people who are natural salespeople have that slight twinge of not hesitation, but anxiety, I think. And then there's some of us who've never sold at all before who were listening to the show who were like, I'm terrified of the idea of going to like a networking event or cold calling someone. Um, I remember I cold called someone one time. And as I was pitching, like in the first few words, he was like, he interrupted me and he was like, why are you calling me? And I was like, oh, you know, I just thought, you know, and he was like, he's like, why are you calling me? Don't call me. <laughs> and I was like, no. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> but, no, but you know, and even when I was uh, just kind of reading the notes, uh, you know, on your approach to this podcast, you said, just be authentic. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I can tell you now that I think there might sometimes be a misperception in amongst entrepreneurs and business owners that a salesman is a certain type of person. Mm, and, you know, yeah. But if, if you, you know, some of that, um, the G Gallup have uh, that strength finder yeah. uh, tool uh -huh. set that they use. And there's a yeah. sales dynamic of that as well. And it, my opinion or, or perspective for those people that maybe feel uncomfortable selling is just be yourself. Yeah. 
Just be yourself in that engagement. Be as authentic as you can. Look, you say you hate sales. You literally open up saying, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm an awful salesman. The fact that I've cold called you, you have no idea how uncomfortable this is. And you know what? If you want to slam the phone down, just do it. But if you'll give me 30 seconds, you know, and it's like, even for me, like I, I generally hate cold calls and I don't know if you get them, but sometimes that guy or that woman or man gets you. They're yeah. so good. They're so authentic. I'm listening, not because I want to buy, because I want to hire this person. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see how far they go. But, you know, just like you said in your brief, just be authentic. Yeah. Just be yourself. Be authentic. It's amazing advice. And I think it's encouragement for all of our listeners who, you know, many of us are on social media. Many of us are following different business leaders on social media. And, you know, I would encourage our listeners not to fall into the trap of, comparison on social media, you know, you see that one salesperson on social media who you're like, oh my gosh, I want to be just like them. But at the end of the day, you're not them. You know, you may be like them, but a lot of us aren't like them in the sense of like personality or style or what have you. And, um, or, and I think you're giving great advice in terms of really owning yourself. Um, Moving on from this, let's get back to your story. So you launched the business, NetSureIt. Um, and now 20 plus years later, a $30 million brand. Do you remember the moment where you realized like, okay, this is, this is something like, this is not just like a side hustle or an entrepreneurial venture. Like this thing has serious legs. Yeah. Good, good question. Um, no, there was definitely a moment where, you know, I did information systems and, um, as, as one of my majors and uh, there were, I had uh, my partner, Rian and my partner, Brian at the time. And Rian uh, had convinced one of the top engineering students who actually had a bursary um, uh, for his degree. And part of that is that he had to pay, had to work for them for a few years as part of the agreement. Anyway, he, he agreed to join us. Okay. And we were nothing at that time. Then in my information systems class, the student that came first, his name was Richie Ho. I remember him so clearly, such a legend. He joined us too. And then um, there were just suddenly people wanted, like we were running the business out of my flat in Randburg at that point, you know, which was like small, like it was one, a one bedroom flat with like a loft. Yeah. And there were and and next thing there were these guys that were just keen to join us. And, and so I kind of realized there's something going on there. Um and couldn't really, you know, we moved from there into our first into our first offices. But even at the time that we registered our domain, um, which was 1999, we registered nature.com. Mm-hmm. Um we we always had these global aspirations that we really wanted to build a truly significant and and great business. Um, yeah, so kind of to that question, I think the the first point there, but there've definitely been ups and downs where <laughs> I've I've felt like, wow, this is so hard. And uh, you know, like I, I see, I saw Elon Musk being asked something like this, and he just said straight faced, never, 
never. I always know. I just got to do what I got to do. You know, so he's just got this crazy sense of confidence and self-belief. And I definitely believe in myself and I have confidence, but they've definitely over this journey, there have been times where it's been tough and uh, there's been a very strong imposter syndrome in me yeah. where I'm like, well, people can find out. I don't know what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah. I, so I love <laughs> this. I love parking there for a second because nothing against Elon Musk, but I, I saw something similar. I saw another thing from uh, Grant Cardone, who for our listeners, very popular sales guy on social yeah. media. Um, and I, I think some, sometimes I wonder if how much is of this is like real confidence and how much of it is just like instilling confidence in the brand. Like I know exactly what I'm doing, but something you said, Oren, that I think is so relatable and I think comforting for our listeners, especially when we talk about imposter syndrome, are these wild ups and downs in our business. You know, we're like, I can really relate to like times where I feel totally on fire. Like I'm like, mm-hmm. man, this business is going to go so far. And then there's times where I'm like, what am I doing? Like literally, <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. You know, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. What, what kind of, what gets you through those low moments that you've been through in your business? Yeah. Um, there, there are some habits that definitely, um, definitely pull me out of that. The, the one is, is exercise. If I'm, if I'm being consistent with my exercise, uh, that definitely has an impact. Um, number two, uh, I, I, I leverage, I, I do a gratitude exercise in the morning and at night every day. Mm. So that habit has, has also had, had an impact. Um, I've, I've, and, I've actually, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, carry on, carry on. Go oh, I, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you though. I was just going to say this gratitude exercise. I have, I've actually heard this mentioned a multitude of times. Um, not just, not just in general, but from great guests like yourself, who have come on the podcast to do something similar. And I, I just wanted to pause for a second, just because I've, I've talked about this with a few entrepreneurs who, um, I guess, oversimplify it or underplay it where they're like, Oh, so I'm supposed to like sit around and say what I'm grateful for. And I'm like, I mean, kind of, yeah, but it's amazing how these small practices seem to have such a big impact on perspective and, um, yes. resilience and, um, and just, just commenting on your practice. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no problem. So, I mean, the one dynamic is me personally, but we've definitely infused it in our culture. So there's something about saying thank you, uh, within the culture that has definitely had a, had a, had a massive impact. So that's deeply embedded in our culture. And then, you know, if I look at some of the times to be more specific, you know, your last podcast was about a, a recession and what do you do? You know, we, we went through the 2001 recession. We went through the 2008, 2009 recession. We went through the, the pandemic. So, you know, here I am, this is my <laughs> adult life's work. Bring it on. And I'm looking, <laughs> looking this, looking at this a train coming, coming, coming directly, uh, you know, through the tunnel at me. And as an intimidating and as overwhelming as that can be in moments where you're like, what am I going to do? I've got no clue. Um, we were just unbelievably decisive and moved very, very, very quickly. And who knows? We didn't know that they were going to be the right decisions, but we made the decision. We followed through, 
we were we were we were we were gentle and respectful on the people. We went out of our way to protect customer relationships, and we protected cash flow like crazy. So sometimes when when it really looks bleak, just being decisive and taking action has definitely energized me and and motivated me through some of those real real dips. Yeah, no, that's great advice, and I I love, you know, I, I do think what you said reminds me of something I was thinking of earlier about being decisive. Something that I've mentioned on the show before is, and it's not meant to be negative, but um, it's the understanding that no one's coming to save you. And mm-hmm. I say this, I say this because, <clears throat> so I'm living in a part of the United States that's it's fairly Christian, fairly religious, and I remember early on in my business praying. Like, God, just bring me a customer, please. Like, bring me something. And I remember I had a friend of mine who was like, hey, um, God's not going to bring you a customer. No disrespect to my faith. It was just like, Mm. there has to be like, you have to get up and go and do something and like, go out and get those customers. And um, I resonate with your comment on being ultra decisive because I think this is true for our business is that a lot of times we get paralyzed in what's the right decision, or I'm going to wait and see. And I, I think there's something to be said about being embracing the risk and making the decision, knowing full and well, this may be the wrong decision, but I'm going to move so that I, you know, I don't freeze or I don't die or, or what have you. So, yeah. And the other thing in those times that we've done a lot of that has really, really helped is just over communicate. And maybe the last one, that has helped with imposter syndrome and dips in the in and troughs in in my entrepreneurial journey is I joined an entrepreneurs organization uh, back in two thousand and three, and having a peer group, whether it's through your church, whether it's through your industry, whether it's through entrepreneurs organization. So entrepreneurs organization have a million dollar criteria, but they also have an accelerator program which is which is for smaller businesses that are going to get there. And then YPO also, those peer groups. So when I was dealing with a difficult time, I could present the challenge uh, to other entrepreneurs and and then leveraging the concept called Gestalt, which is both prevalent in YPO and EO, whereas you share from experience and you don't give advice. They would share their experience on how they dealt with similar situations. So now I've got this peer group that are not trying to sell me anything and they're not a customer. They're just there to support and help me. And I think for any entrepreneur, uh, if you can find a peer group of similar like-minded people, um, that has been a massive uh, support for me. I, I personally feel like I owe entrepreneurs organization and YPO for, for, for the amazing value mm. that it's added in my life. Well, I love that. And we've had people on the show before who've been part of EO uh, for our listeners, Craig Wasselchuk, who's been on. Um, but definitely for you guys listening who, and we talked about like finding a business partner or other people to talk to. If you were listening to that and thinking, well, it's, it's just me, I'm a solo entrepreneur. Um, or, and I think your advice on finding a peer group is great advice. And I think it's great advice also because a lot of times when we're starting out or we're small or this thing is, you know, we're trying to grow this thing. We have like the social media effect of like, I have to present the business as being like amazing. Everything's great. Yeah. I remember yeah, a person yeah, who, yeah. this person who posted on social media for months about how amazing her business was. And then she became a customer of mine and she had not made a dollar in 18 months. And I remember thinking like, 
why did you post all of this when clearly you were struggling? Um, which, you know, there is a balance to that. I don't think like you bear every detail, um, on social media regardless, but, um, for, I think finding groups important. And for our local listeners, if you're in Northwest Arkansas, don't forget, we do have our growth group at 9am every Tuesday morning. It is that peer group with a very much um, no selling culture. Um, People come, they do share their experiences. And so if you're listening, you're from our NWA area, definitely check out that group 9am on Tuesdays at Red Kite and Tawny Town. Uh, And you can email me more if you want more information about it. But um, Oren, we're actually, we're already, we're Getting towards the end of this episode, and I still want to ask you about your management perspective. Um, when, when I think about the podcast, the things that kind of always come to the top is we talk a lot about sales, um, customer relationships, and then frankly, management is the other thing that really pops up as one of the most commonly talked about topics. Uh, I know you're really passionate about leadership, you're passionate about culture. I'd love to get your perspective on how you manage people well, you know, what's been kind of your perspective on all of that. Share a little bit of that with us, please. Sure. Uh, we, we realized, I think it was in 2004, that, that so many of the people that come into the IT industry, this is actually their passion and their hobby. So if, if we were truly going to build something significant, we needed a culture that deeply encouraged some level of balance. Because these, you know, when you look at the nature of IT and 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 some of the the peaks of of demand and the troughs and managing that capacity is people can burn out quite easily. We actually had one mm. of our team burn out in 2004. So where I where I've arrived at in my entrepreneurial career is I I don't know how I could build a successful business if I didn't place our people in our culture front and center. Yeah. So how do we try to do this? Um, our purpose is supporting the dreams of the doers. So on the people side, that is about a culture and creating a safe space for people to pursue what they really want in their lives. And sometimes it's resulted in people resigning and moving on. And then on the customer side, it's taking our knowledge and understanding of their business and aligning that with the technology services and recommendations so that we can have a real impact on their business and support their goals and dreams. So from a, from a, a, a culture, the, what we call our dreams program, the way we've programmatized that is we have we have just over three hundred people, um, and uh, we have each year you do your dream book. So we've got a process we go through, which is basically your top ten personal goals and dreams visualized. Mm-hmm. This is a PowerPoint deck, you know, to keep it simple of images, you know. Yeah. So yeah. you know, there's an image of me with my daughter, and our and and the thing I put in there is your patience is your power. And I know that that's something I've struggled with as a father. So that's a typical example. So we do that each year. You get put into a dream group and there is a dream coach that, uh, that will lead your group. It's one of your group and they get trained. Okay. You meet once a month and you just, you share how you're doing. Uh, you learn from each other. You support each other. And uh, we also do something called a Dreams Week in Advance, which on a Monday before 12 o'clock means capture the top three to five things you want to get done 
um, uh, in that week, no matter how crazy it gets. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like if you go to Glassdoor and Netshare it, okay, and you go and look at some of the reviews, some of them say, oh, this company's not great. They said the Dreams program was optional. It's more like a cult. They just force <laughs> you to do it. You know, yeah. things like this. But it's like, this is our purpose. Yeah. This is, so So my, when I'm interviewing people, I always say to them, look, if if this doesn't resonate with you, yeah. you're going to miss one of the most powerful parts of, of spending yeah, time for you. working yeah. this way. Then rather not choose not. So it's, it's quite difficult to say like, is culture optional or not? You know, yeah. it's, it's a bit, it's its own debate, but that's really our, our sort of my perspective on it. I love it because it, it, I just appreciate how you have a philosophy of thinking about the whole person. Cause I think so many, and especially you guys who are listening, who maybe your, your entrepreneurial venture is a side hustle and you're still like in that nine to five, maybe corporate structure. Uh, I think, I think you guys can really resonate with this, how many businesses are so interested in the one thing you bring to the business, your job that they are disinterested in the rest of the person, you know, the yeah. things that they care about, the struggles that they have. Um, you know, I think about businesses that actively suppress side hustles and entrepreneurial interest of their employees. So um, I think it's great that you guys obviously have a passion for the whole person. And just for our listeners, studies have shown that when you care for the whole person, that it lifts that person in terms of the performance that they have. And so if you're thinking about your people making you more money, you might think about, you know, how can I care for that whole person and not just for that singular part of them? So, Oren, this has been an amazing episode. Man, I need to have you back. This, this, there were so many great things. I wanted to d dive a little bit more into your backstory. Um, I read here this note about you having gone to nine schools as a kid and getting kicked out yeah. of three. And then it says yeah. six out of nine, not bad. <laughs> so we'll have to, that'll be the little uh, teaser for the next time. If you're willing to rejoin us for oh, another episode. Uh, Oren, what's the best way for people who um, would love to hire you and work with you? Or maybe even maybe there's someone listening who's thinking, I wonder if I could get a job with this company. Talk, talk about those both those groups, please, if you can. For sure. Um, if you want to get hold of me, whether it's work with us or potentially, um, uh, you know, hire us uh, for for your business. Um, so there, I would say three different ways. One is LinkedIn. Uh, so you can find me, Oren Klopper, on LinkedIn. Um, o double -R, r i n and then Klopper K L O P P E R. Um, you can email me, uh, oren at netshirt.com. And um, you can also just, uh, you can text, you can text me directly or call me on my mobile, which is 917-517-7763. Um, I'm very responsive. Uh, if I don't reply, message me again, because there'll be a reason why I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Oren, so generous of you to make the time to come on the show today. You gave some amazing advice. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you, Blake. I'm very grateful. 
Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put those details, except for the phone number, it's not going to be in the actual description, but I'll have everything else that's going to be in that description of the episode. If you enjoyed today's episode and this is your first episode to listen to, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are in your business. Don't forget, if you're a business owner and you want to advertise on the podcast, you can email me at blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. Maybe you want to be a guest on the show. Definitely reach out to me and let me know. Or if you're listening and you want to support the podcast, you can also go to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash good advice. And of course, we appreciate all of our supporters of the show. That's today's good advice. We'll catch you later. See ya.